we are live now, and I, I would say that again that my, <laughs> my father's uh, my father's uh, York site after 22 years is tonight, and uh, just uh, to honor him, I can say that uh, even today he's the most moral man I know where I've ever met. He uh, reminds me of. Uh, was it Nathaniel? The master said was a, an Israelite in whom there was no guile. Mm. My, my dad has, uh, as as long back as I can remember, was uh, absolutely transparent. The most transparent man I've ever met. So I miss him. I miss him greatly. And uh, about 15 years ago, it would have been really great to chat with him a little bit. You know. Started bumping into sons-in-law and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah. Anywho, tonight uh, tonight we do a comparison between First uh, Timothy verses uh, chapters two and three, actually, and uh, the uh, first couple of chapters of Titus. Uh, back to the uh, concept that uh, Paul was uh, a lettering machine. And sending that stuff out. Did you want to start with the new group tonight? If you wanted to. Shlomo Katz has a cool class, a couple of them on Facebook, and he always starts out his classes with a little Nagoon. It's really cool. How many of you, how many of you sitting in the room actually know what Nagoon is? Two. Oh. Three. Three. So, yeah. So starting with a Nagoon would be, you know, like starting with a, the opening of a refrigerator. I mean, really, what's the what's yeah. the point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get you. So, yeah, we're we're gonna have to have uh, maybe next we'll have have next class. community Shabbat. We'll have to. Sounds like a cartoon character, Mister Nagoon. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> you know, and he's and he's got the suitcase, and he's he's got the pillow behind it, and they want to oh, charge him for the pillow. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, Mister Nagoon. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna go through that. I'm like that. So uh, I tried to give you some background in the past two uh, chapters of our study guide on where we are and what's happened and how Paul met Timothy. And uh, if you recall, he was uh, coming over the top, as it were, and uh, going through Asia Minor there. And about halfway on to Ephesus, he, he, uh, he's in Lystra and Derby, and, and he meets Timothy. Uh, seen that movie? Titus appears to be uh, hanging with him uh, on his second missionary journey, and more quickly than Timothy, um, Timothy he leaves in Thyatira, and they send him out so he doesn't get beat up. Sends Paul out, and uh, Timothy and Silas are working together. Titus seems to be uh, kind of on his own, and then he stays in Crete and is cleaning up stuff and setting up. Uh, Assemblies there. So these are, um, in, in both cases, it appears to be young men who were zealous and studying, and Paul recognized were worthy of putting in charge. In uh, Titus's case, he was actually left to uh, install elders and uh, he had the same task at one point. So these are uh, 
He's a good young man. So, Titus, one, he calls him his true child. We talked about this last week. Uh, Timothy, uh, he calls him uh, his true child in the faith. In this case, we uh, he have uh, his true child in the common faith. Seems to be pretty much the same deal. Uh, my thought was he called him his true child because he actually physically circumcised the kid. I say kid, he's probably um, Gregory's age. Yeah, yeah pretty much a kid. Yeah, everything's relative, you know. Um, that would change our relationship. Big time. Yeah. So. I still would have went through with it to marry your daughter, though. God bless you for would that. Would have been worth it. God bless you for that. And I've got that on tape now, which is really great, too. So I'll play that for your wife in about 30 years. Um, so I had thought that's why Paul was calling Timothy his true child, that, you know, he had circumcised him. But that was not the case for Titus. Timothy's father was evidently a well-known Gentile. I don't like your father. A well-known Gentile. There he is. Sort of odd. Wears weird colors. Keep a, you know, works at a bank, but he's a well-known Gentile. And uh, for this reason, Timothy chose to circumcise. Uh, Paul chose to tim uh, circumcise Timothy. Titus, on the other hand, seemed to be more like you. So your dad is a great man, but not necessarily uptown, you know, wearing the suit and pressing the flesh and being a well-known Gentile. He's just a great Gentile. Mm. So there was no reason to necessarily circumcise Titus. I think we can still question whether or not Pesach coming with a temple didn't, didn't really matter. Um, we just need to question whether or not Titus was in Jerusalem for the Passover and would be eating the Passover very frequently because it, it appears that he was traveling with Paul a good deal, which means that, again, there'd be no, no necessity to do so. Okay, questions on that at all? So who wants to read for me? First Timothy chapter two. We have a hand. Is that your hand? I see. Yes. That that's your hand. He saw. I'll I'll take that hand. Do you want a specific version of the Bible? No, I'm going to take whatever you're comfortable reading because uh, you know I, I know your dad and. You're not going to pick something stupid like, you know, good news for modern man or, <laughs> or one of those weird the deals. The Bible. Yeah, that talks about Paul painting and making cartoons on the walls or anything like that. Yeah, so, yeah, just just jump in there anytime. But speak thou of things which, wait. S speak thou? Yeah, I use, I use that at uh, Harris Teeter all the time. Sorry, Lord. Speak thou, is the beer on sale? Yeah. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Speak thou, hast thou any toothpaste that dost not have? Maybe for buying mead. That's right. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> it's next to the trash.
trebuchet. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but as for you, teach but accords with the sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound of faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Stop. Are you reading First Timothy two? I I thought I was. So um, your version wasn't oh, anything like his sorry, version. Sorry, I thought you said Titus. <laughs> Titus. Titus. I'm going to come back to you for Titus. So <laughs> Easy to confuse. Because we're do you remember when we were in church and they do that and you're like, that's... Should, should we say something? Yeah. <laughs> that's nothing like mine. You know, raise your hand. Yeah, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Titus and First Timothy are like... Yeah, well, they're close. They're close. close. It's a parallel. They're very close. I like that. Close. Trying to fake us out to see if we can tell. Good. <laughs> well done. Well done. Go ahead and... Uh, Give us the real deal now. Yeah. I'm going to get a kick out of years. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful life and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, now with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Thank you. Have you got your Bible handy? Yes, Did you memorize it? Oh, so you completely, totally overheard. Okay, that's right. Have you got your Bible? Yes. Can you read Titus chapter 3? That would be Titus. Titus chapter 3. Not First Timothy. Titus. That's right. It's in the same same Bible. Well, he's looking it up. Just wanted to throw something out there. Yeah. You would like to discuss later, I know, from the <laughs> discussion, uh, in, a, in a lesson, the, the idea of prayer, whether or not it's a good thing or not, and how we should do it. just want to point out that his encouragement to pray for your kings and so forth yes. is practically, well, not quite a quote, but pretty close to Jeremiah. So look up Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Um, he instructs the people who are actually in Babylon... Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Amen. And, uh, and they're is, in they're in exile. They're in exile. So this is not this is not you know pray for your godly king that God has appointed over you for David that, and yes. you know, his, yeah. This is more like the president that you voted against, who's now currently in office. That's pray right. for him. That's and right. it's interesting that if you read the prayer in the article Sadur about praying for the government. It's very similar to this. Basically, yeah. the concept behind it is praying for uh, the welfare of the government so that you may have peace. Amen. There it is. You got it? Yes. We should have something similar to what Joshua just said. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign, malign no one, to be peaceful, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. 
For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. <clears throat> but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of good deeds which we have done which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by washing the regeneration and renewing of the Ruch HaKodesh, whom he poured out on us richly through Yeshua Messiah, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Thank you. Okay. So we've got some parallels here. In your uh, study guide, we get uh, past the whole true child thing, which nobody seems like really John. Um, we covered that already. We, we did last week, so we'll leave it. Um, I just want to say that I felt like you asked some questions about what do you think is going through Paul's head? Yeah. Between these two passages. Um, we haven't read a lot tonight, but never heard in this, in this lesson ahead of time. Um, you hear the word dignified a lot. You hear the word gentle, not quarrelsome. Um, you know, Almost so that, they need to be gentlemen. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because over again talks about how other people will perceive them, right. and more importantly, how they'll perceive the good news and Messiah Yeshua and God um, by looking at them. And, and it really seemed to me, I, I, I kind of got the feeling almost like maybe, maybe Paul had a sour taste in his mouth. Maybe one of those guards that rotated around said, oh yeah, you know, you're not like the rest of those, the way people out there. Oh my goodness, those guys, they, they talk like, a, you know, they they believe in God and that like they know the only real God and they're out there being nasty or they argue with people or they, they cheat you or whatever. And, sure. and um, we hear that today. You hear that today all the Christians time. Christians in I mean, general. The, the, yeah. Yeah. I've actually known some people who are like, they'd rather do business with non-Christians. Absolutely. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, it feels almost like that was weighing heavily on Paul because the way that he describes this more so than any of the other books that we've read, he really emphasizes being a good testimony. A personal character that's a good testimony. Right, so it's more than just simply ethics for ethics' sake. But, well, but, and that's not just a show off. It's not being a hypocrite. Right, no. Well, what does it remind you of? Back to the Torah. Well, Exodus. Sure. What about Exodus? When, when Moses... Or actually, Deuteronomy, I think, well, is better. Right. Either, well, I mean, so, number one, it reminds me when Moses is choosing leaders and elders. Okay. He has very similar characteristics. Right. And then number two, of course, in Deuteronomy, God tells the people, I give you all these commandments so that the nations will see. When you keep these commandments, they're going to go, wow, what a great God you guys must have. That he gave you all these cool laws to kind of keep the peace and do this. And if you think about it, it's so interesting to see how that, um, that does play out today. When a believer really does live a godly, dignified life of integrity, um, it oftentimes does turn heads. It does get attention. Yeah, and we um, and we've seen in our own testimonies whether we're perfect gentlemen or not. Just keeping the commandments gives. Uh, we've you and I have talked about this so many times in the past. It gives us so much more opportunity to have real close, personal, one-on-one, -on -one, mm. uh, valuable conversations about salvation, simply because. <clears throat> We've got tzitzit on, or we're wearing a kippah, or we can't do something, or choose not to do something on the Sabbath, that kind of mm -hmm. thing, right? And and you know, you and I have had the same conversation. It's just you stick out, but in a not a sore thumb kind of way, but in a a gentle, subservient way. 
which I, I think is more attractive for folks, you know? So uh, I, I think I, I see where you're coming from, and that's, that's exactly where I was going, that Paul seems to be really focusing on, especially for the men, you need to not be jerks. <laughs> that, that, you know, my pleasure. And for women, don't, don't flaunt what you've got. That's not the beauty. The beauty's inward, and that's what people are going to see. And of course, most of us, uh, most doesn't work. One, two, three, four, five married men out of uh, four more at night. Okay, yeah, well, that is most. Okay, so, <laughs> sorry. Most of us here tonight um, recognize that our wives... It, it's that inward beauty. It's 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 that godliness that that we're you know so in love with. It's not. That, I mean, all of your wives are beautiful. I can speak very <laughs> about, about these two, but you know, I I know both your wives. They are beautiful too. But but yeah, I think it's the that inward godly beauty. So he he's talking to both men and women. I think primarily to to the men, but he does mention as as. Joshua was reading earlier, the women, and, and watching the and the braiding of the hair. But the, the tongue also is a big thing. I mean, he talks about women not centering. He talks about yeah. uh, and teaching your women. He talks about the men not being quarrelsome. Um, you know, I think that that's something that's very important because when he talks to Titus, I think he says, you know, be, you know, speaking with sound speech so that no one can condemn what you have to say, so that they will be ashamed of <clears> nothing <throat> evil to speak against you. And, right. Exactly. And I think that it. Um, it's so easy to see today how people, I mean, I've talked about this with my wife before, it's so frustrating sometimes. It feels like in our modern world, people really don't care what you do. They only really care about what you say. And in, if you, In a politically correct society, that's all that matters. So if you, no matter, I mean, as long as you're not an unbelievable jerk or violent or whatever, for the most part, they really don't care what you do. But if you say the wrong thing or an insensitive thing or use the wrong word in the wrong context, that's an unforgivable crime. Yeah. And I think that, so I feel, again, it goes back to another thing I'm talking about here too. It's like Paul is, Paul is focusing, not, not to the dismissal of you know, that you-to-God ethical relationship, but he's focusing on you and those who are outside the faith. They've got to see God in you. And, and really, isn't that what the sages say? How are they going to see God? They're, they're going to see God by what you do, by you keeping those mitzvot, right? Um, I think their focus a lot of times is, I was going to say unfortunate, but I don't think it's unfortunate, but I think the sages oftentimes, you know, will encourage you to keep the mitzvah, whatever it is, because this is the only place and the only time that you can do it. If you've got a place in the world to come, you there, there's no mitzvot. You can't keep the mitzvot then. You can only do them now. So this world is like that, what, antechamber or foyer, if you will, to the great banquet hall of the world to come. And so you and I got to do them now because you can't do them later, right? In, in mixed in with all of these great qualities of, of the men, it's kind of cool, though, that he, he mentions rebuking or right. uh, fixing off doctrine in some cases, but what's cool is like he typically mentions the qualities first, where you are gentle, 
not violent. You're loving. Yeah. You're you're all of these great things. He can peel them off. Which then opens the door to being able to actually have a an effective rebuke or to be able to ex- have a, a, a an effective conversation that isn't going to stir up strife or, or become something that it wasn't meant to be. True. That's but a good point. It's really neat how he does kind of insert that in there. Not that you would be a pushover, you know, as, as one of these elders, you know, that you would stand up to faith, that you would be very strong in what you believe, but that your character is what opened the door for you to be able to do that with people that aren't saying things correctly. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I like that. And he also does another thing that's interesting too is um, it seems to me along those lines that Paul is not encouraging nitpickiness. You know, I think that sometimes people can feel like, well, I have to have a standard and I have to stand up for that standard. And so that means I need to call people out for every little tiny thing that violates that standard. And um, Paul is, Paul's focusing on big stuff. He's talking about bad doctrine, leading people astray, people are lazy and yeah. gluttons. And it's like, not to say that you don't, if you have that really good relationship, you can't call out some of the small stuff. But it's almost like that's really got to be earned. The other thing, other things, if you're an elder and you have a, that good character, then you do earn the right to call out on the big stuff dramatically. True, True. and I, and I think uh, you know I'm, I'm reminded of your father and his stand on a lot of these things. When it gets down to the little nitty gritty stuff, unless you specifically ask him, mm-hmm. he's not going to weigh in. He does need to get involved. But you stand up and say, well, this question about whether or not Yeshua was divine. Your, your job will come to fisticuffs in a gentlemanly way <laughs> to make it clear that's not the case. If you do it on a message board, I mean, <laughs> definitely you're, comment. You're going to get cut off on the message board. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, the, the gentlemanly, yeah. look at, looking at the broad stuff. And I, I think as we get older in the faith, don't we don't we get to that conclusion that you, your walk is not my concern. It's for his concern because he's your father. But the little ups and downs that you go through, that's not my job. If you're going to stand up in the middle of the community and say something that's heretical or not correct, uh, it's against the scripture. That's why it's so hard to lead those discussions. Hmm. Because, and, and, and Joshua and I have talked about this, you and I have talked about it, you have to know some doctrine. Hmm. So that when somebody says something, you can go, blah, blah, blah. or if they're a guest, you can be very gentle and say, okay, that's a point. It may not be good, but it is a point, a perspective Mr. Martin, perhaps you could give a, a biblical account of it, you know, and, and kind of gently rebuke it back so that the, the group is not. Because I'm real sensitive about I, what I think, straying now a little bit to, to kind of come to conclusions on this, on this lesson. I, I am very passionate about what I think Paul is most passionate about in both of these books. So if you had to boil it down to what he's most concerned about, what would you say that would be? To both Tim and Titus, what is he most concerned about? Think of it. Can I guess what I think you think it is? You may. 
Um, based on your leading in there, it's something to do with uh, sound teaching, good leadership? False doctrine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Teach, false teachers. I think in, in both books, he goes after those guys and he's, and he's seriously trying to make sure that both of these young men are careful to nip these guys in the bud and just cut them down. Well, and that's really, that is one area where you mentioned my father was very, is very strong and when it comes to doctrinal issues, and, and he is. And that's, that is one of those kind of, I don't say unusual, but special places in which sometimes more force is necessary. And I really respect this community for how I feel like on those Torah portion discussions where you get a guest in who makes a comment that's like, whoa, where is that coming from? And, we either very gently move on or we kind of disagree, but in almost like a, it's like, have you considered this kind of format? And I think that's really great. Yeah. On the other hand, when someone is teaching something flat out wrong, I mean, we've seen firsthand how poisonous that can be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's where you have to be really strong. I mean, I remember I was over at the Garner house one time and they had someone who did not view keeping the Torah as a positive thing. Um, I'm not sure what they were doing at a um, uh, messianic, messianic group. group. Yeah. Um, well, a Torah portion discussion specifically. That was kind of funny. But anyway, um, but it was really great because the men really all bandied together to defend the Torah, to clarify how we should be keeping it. We can keep it. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, this, this lasts an hour and a half or more. A long discussion. But in the end, I think everyone was okay. No one got too hit or upset. But the men didn't budge. Right. There was no compromise. And that's, that's critical. So in a case where you might not have men that are learned in the scriptures, able to teach, able to hold their own, I think Paul is very concerned mm-hmm. that in these kind of new Gentile communities, he is making it clear, if nobody steps up, you got to be the guy. Yeah. You've got to cut this down gently, diplomatically, but it has to be cut out because they're they're coming up with these really cool sounding things, you know. Like I, I was thinking of a, a guy who lives down in Waxhaw who has a lot of videos on extraordinarily weird things that you listen to, and it's humorous and entertaining and. There may be a modicum of truth in there, um, and oftentimes there is, but it is fraught, I think, with... Uh... Well, the problem you run into there is usually the, uh, the, the doctrine underlying some of the stuff. Yeah. The, and I think that's... Well, even, even historicity, you know, to say, for example, that, that Paul was a traveling talit maker and salesman. Which is possible. Except there was no such thing as a talit back then. So, you know, you've got to really, you know... Which is not possible. <laughs> yeah, so you've got an acronistic, uh, you know, problem there. Josiah. And you asked what you thought, what you wanted, uh, what you thought, what we thought Paul was trying to tell Titus and Timothy. Yes, primer. I think that he was trying to tell them to stay strong in their beliefs, not to be dissuaded by all this other stuff and to um, not be... Uh, Wishy-washy. Yes. Well, let me ask you, Josiah, would you, would you say that that was a time-bound instruction 
or something that you could live by even today? Yes, live by even today. Yeah, so the wishy-washiness and the, the flotsam word of the day, flotsam. Um, the flot, yeah, F-L-O-T, <laughs> flotsam. Um, the flotsam of the day may change, but there's always going to be something floating by that is simply just not for us to believe in, right? So yes. um, the timelessness of the Word of God for me works whether you're as young as you are or as amazingly old but still standing up as your father is. No! Sorry. No! And then you think about like today, I mean, oh my goodness, I just recently listened to a podcast about from an Orthodox woman actually talking about us, people like us, and really raving about us actually yeah. and how much yeah. we love the Torah even though we're Gentiles and weird and whatever. Um, but one of the things that she pointed out is that we have no idea what to call ourselves. And she got that right. She's got that right. <laughs> and it's so interesting because the the, the, the bifurcation, the, the variety of theologies about even yeah. just the origin of this group yeah. is crazy. Some people think we're Ephraimites, some people think that we're Gentiles, some people think that we have a Jewish soul, some people think we got just all this and it's like so you talk about the chaos going on in the first century, all these Gentile assemblies and they're being flipped. Today, with the internet, I feel like it's even ten times worse. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, people learning weird stuff and then preaching weird stuff, yeah. and their voice has a lot of distance now. And you know, Baruch Hashem, we have things like the, our podcast, so we can reach other people. But right. so can the bad guys. And Absolutely. I think that um, I'm reminded, as you were commenting on this, of Hillel's statement, where there are no men, be a man. That's right. And that kind of feels like he's telling Timothy and Titus, it's like you have to stand up. So, somebody's going to stand. You up. have to find other men. Who will stand up with you because these guys are not just are not just um, they're not just wrong, they're destroying your community by leading people astray. Amen. And that comes back to the true child again, because if you're a true child of mine, you'll be able to stand your ground and do those things. Yeah. Sort of a chip off the old block kind of thing, because that's exactly what Paul was doing. And as we see across the known world at that time, was being beaten, rods stoned, you know, had to escape through baskets out of the city, which I'd like to see you do one day. And, you know, <laughs> uh, on the ship, you know, skipping town and so forth. Um, I gave you a, a chart uh, on page 24 um, just to see, um, and I don't need to, you know, tell me what you put there, but did you, did you catch the, the idea here? Yes, I'm sorry, Joshua, go ahead. Yes, your father. Yes. No. It's all right. Are you sure? Uh, I was going to... Uh, Comment as Tom was on the uh, the character. It, Paul had to see some very definite, strong character in these two men mm. in order to identify them as people that he knew would be good leaders and would carry that with the next generation, but would also um, have the ability to work with the older generation. And he, he speaks because to both he of them about. Both how to deal with the older men. Both, both directions, right? the older men and the younger men. Yes. So yeah. for, for Paul to select these two men and have the kind of conversations via his letters that he had with them, they had to be men of tremendous, or he had, he had to believe them to be men of tremendous character to entrust them with the things that he was communicating to them. And it reminds me a lot of, of uh, the way God chose Abraham. Because he knew the character 
of the man, and he had something extraordinarily important to, uh, to entrust him with because he knew that he would carry it through. I agree. And, and of course, you see later that uh, God actually mentions why he chose him because he knew that he would teach his children and his children's children to, to follow mm -hmm. uh, our Lord. But, and let me put you on the spot and just say, you know, because we're, we're old guys now and we've worked with a lot of men over the years. And you have young men under you now. And I have uh, not so young men under me anymore. Um, Paul actually goes out of his way to make it clear to these guys when they're choosing elders, not, not to lay hands too quickly on a young man. And I find that almost humorous in the way that he chose these two guys. Um, and I was, I was going to put that in the study guide and I realized, well, it's not like driving to go on the map from Lystra and Derby to Thessalonica and down to Corinth. Okay. So he spent a lot of time with these guys, and, you know, months, if not years, and actually saw them in the midst of trials and tribulations and how they reacted and so forth. Yeah, so sure. it, it wasn't like. I see this guy, I've seen this guy now four Sundays in a row kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I do find that curious that while he's, he encourages them to, you know, be careful, he, uh, he spent enough time or he had that discernment, perhaps from God or both, the discernment and the time mm -hmm. to recognize that these two young guys could do it. And you and I have seen that, you know, there were some young guys that came along that, um, happen to be just like a little younger than us and yet we're 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 there we're we're plugged in and so mm -hmm. forth it's a good point well i do think that um i'd like to think bellator has done a pretty good job of trying to identify that sort of next generation types um i mean you know you and, and mr martin have done some leadership things mr upham my dad um but then you've also found other younger men like myself and gregory and then um, other young guys in the past, like Brock, that you trained to do um, some of the different things, um, found what we would be good at, and gave us that opportunity and uh, encouraged us in that way. And I think that's really important. I think it takes, um, thinking about from Paul's perspective, it, it not only takes wisdom, but also a certain degree of humility to be able to identify a younger man that can take over for you. Um, I know that he was moving on, so that makes it a little bit easier. True. But, um, I mean... Yeah, I think, it, like I said, I, I, I really see, like, the Ephesians as kind of a huge deal. I mean, from reading that book, they don't seem to be in having a lot of issues. He's, I mean, it's not, he has to talk about some basic stuff with them, but, I mean, he, he seems to really like them. Putting Timothy over them, to me, it speaks volumes about the respect and all he had for Timothy, but also, like I said, his own humility to say, Timothy can do just as good a job as I can. Yeah. To lead these people. Amen. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And and I, I think that's that's a healthy part of. Um, well, let me, let me let me rephrase that. That's part of the problem that I personally see, in the visible representation of the church today, mm -hmm. where where you you're focusing on one guy, 
not normally, whether there's elders or deacons or both or whatever, or whatever you call them, the groups, there normally is, is, a, is one player. And uh, I know Scott and I were, were in a, what was a thriving, small but thriving community um, assembly um, that ended up with some twenty, thirty thousand uh, dollars in in the coffers, um, with not many more people than we have in Bellator today, and, and we saw that as you know time to bring on someone who can actually teach us you know more professionally. Um, unfortunately, when when he was brought in, his idea of being just another elder who happens to teach, since we were also elders and were also teaching, um, was not his, what he had been trained. He was trained that he would be the guy in charge and it would be he, and he would be there as long as he wanted to be there, you know, kind of thing, and he would be in charge of everything. We, we just never saw that as a, as a biblical model type thing, and it was shocking that it actually came down to that, you know. Um, so it is definitely possible to do these days and, and to see those things. So uh, anyway, in this uh, in this chart I gave you, I, I think I grabbed uh, you know pretty much everybody that he, he mentions. Is there anybody that you can think of group wise that he missed? Is there another group of people that he should have added time? Well, I don't know if he should have added them, but he didn't speak directly to children. Okay. Okay. Why do you suppose? Well, he told the parents how to deal with the children. Yeah. 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 Exactly, right? Cool. I mean, they're, they're dealt with, but they're not to be dealt with by the adults, generally, but specifically. The uh, One of the cool things on that, a little... Um, Torah point uh, for in Titus chapter one verse six talk to the elders if anyone is above reproach the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination what's really interesting about that is if you go back I believe it's the book of Deuteronomy um, you get the uh, definition of a rebellious child and it talks about someone who's a glutton and rebellious which to me sounds just like debauchery and insubordination this is a capital situation, a capital offense, um, when the child gets to out of so out of control, um, and it has to be a certain age, a unique set of circumstances. It's actually no no child has ever been executed under that Correct. commandment. Um, but the point that God was saying in that is that there is a point in time in which a child can be so out of control, his parents um, actually are forced to be witnesses against him to the to the court. Um, so it's intriguing to me that, that Paul kind of alludes to that in this reference, in this passage. Um, again, he's, it's like Torah is just so ingrained into his mind, he just throws it out there without even thinking about it. He doesn't have to leave a reference because that's what the Torah says. That's right. easy. There you go. Good. Hmm. It's a great threat that the parents use on the kids, too. So. <laughs> I had to give you another table after that um, because I thought I saw um, pretty good parallel. Of, you know, sort of like he's got a little formula he's going through here. You know, and and uh, 
first paragraph, roll people, second paragraph, lift all hands, and so forth. Well, was I making that up, or did you guys see where I was going there? And did you make anything of that? What did you think? I mean, the guy's got a quill pen, you know. He doesn't have a computer with a, you know, insert table, two columns, you know, a number of rows. Uh, I, I, I thought I saw a neat parallel there that line after line seemed to be promoting some type of a parallel. Do you think there's a parallel between the, the paragraph about the kings and the paragraph about the women? I didn't see quite as much as you did, but okay. um, I saw some of that. I thought one of the things that stood out most interesting to me was you lined up the salvation from Yeshua, yeah. ransom and whatnot, with the reference to salvation for Eve um, through childbearing, mm. which is intriguing because... Well, I, I didn't. It, it, apparently Paul did. No, <laughs> you highlighted that it looked like Paul was doing that. Well, did I skip something? I mean, no, no, no. I, okay. I think that um, no. what I think is interesting about that is that there is a there is I, at least a teaching that I grew up with. I assume it's a Christian teaching that um, that we kind of get a glimpse into Eve's salvation through the naming of her children. Mm. That when because the promise of the seed given before that, right, and then when she talks about. The significance I've acquired a man, Cain, right. and then Seth, someone's appointed to replace. Um, and it's almost like this idea that she saw that, like, this was significant. This 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 man child that yeah. I've been given is um, is God's plan to fix everything. Amen. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you you see that the whole thing through the names, just as uh, you know, you go through the genealogy from. Mm-hmm. Adam to Noah, same kind of thing, you know, his death will bring, and you know, the whole thing, and and, and so forth, so um, there is there is a theology there, whether it's uh, apparent or not. Any other comments on uh, table number two? Yes, sir. So with the with the, com- the combo of the kings and the women, yeah. that made a lot of sense, because that also harkens back to the Torah regarding not multiplying wealth, not multiplying horses, being a modest king, basically. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we see later an example of what happens when you're not, and you try to show off. But um, yeah, the Torah is clear about how a king should adorn himself and what how how he should uh, show off what he has and yeah. be in being modest. And that yeah. that parallel with women is cool. cool. It's good. Yeah. Just wanted to quickly go back for a second. So you mentioned that section. You, you had us look at the list of the false teachers. Yeah. And uh, just wanted to throw out there. Um, the false teacher thing. Did I, did I miss that? Uh, that was right before that table, I think, that you're talking about now. It was right after the table of all of the different um, men and women. Oh, yeah. Right, the attributes of the false teachers. And you just noted here, um, I just wanted to point out that uh, Paul tells them to rebuke them sharply, not devoting... They be sons of the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Mm. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but they're both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And if you stopped there, I could see how some in the church would say, oh, see, these are the Judaizers teaching people to keep the Sabbath. It's going to take them straight to hell. You know, something ridiculous like that. Sure. But then the last... Of course, just for those that are listening online in the next 20 years... The Judaizers were not teaching that keeping the Sabbath would provide salvation. No. But rather that the Judaizers were teaching that 
you had to become Jewish to be saved. Right. That's why they're called Judaizers. Right, rather yeah. than Sabbathizers. Sabbathizers, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, <laughs> but verse 16, I think, really stood out to me. It says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Mm. And I think that that really, that was significant because um, Paul's not calling out Orthodox Jews who are, you know, um, who are living godly lives that happen to maybe suggest you should perhaps keep the Sabbath. Um I mean, he seems to be calling out people who, and he talks about earlier, he talks about that they are teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. I mean, these are not, these are not uh, Jewish sages trying to get people to keep kosher. These are, these are men who have, um, who have, who are manipulative. They have uh, nefarious or um, greedy intentions. They have, uh, they are, they are leading people away from the truth. They're coming up with their own commands, the commands of people, not the commands of God. And they are, um, and they seem to be, uh, they're drawing people away, but they themselves are not living in a godly kind of manner that lines up with what you would expect from someone who thinks that what you're doing isn't good enough. Absolutely. I, a couple things came to mind as you were talking about. First, that uh, true Jewish sage doesn't really care what you think. If you, you're not keeping kosher, that's not why they're there. If you want to know what they think, they'll tell you that you should keep kosher. Right? You know, that kind of thing. Um, more of the I'm in your face and I'm going to try and change you thing is completely the opposite of where Paul's coming from. That's, that's not what we're promoting. He's promoting you teach from a quiet life that demands respect and wants to be emulated mm-hmm. rather than the big showy thing and trying to get people to to follow you and give you money or whatever the case might be. And, and I think that we can... Per, I, perhaps in a, in a Jewish perspective, I don't know, but certainly in a Gentile perspective, we've all, in the past, I'm sure, seen where there would be folks, perhaps on television uh, or on the internet or, or with uh, perhaps a, a mega church not that not that's inherent right um, that would be falling into some of these categories without even knowing who they are or, or what their faith is like you know so and that, it, it's so different from from where Paul is like if you if you've got to teach by raising your voice and shout over someone or need to call somebody out publicly and what are you doing you know kind of thing yeah talk he had a big time promoter for a couple of days but he cast the demons out of her <laughs> she's gone that's right <laughs> his marketing app got uh, got dissuaded there yeah that's definitely exactly. I just think my point is just to say that like there are some references he talks about those circumcision party, um, but but this is not uh, these are not Orthodox Jews leading people to keep the Torah. These are clearly people who are um, who, as you kind of compared them, I think rightly to some of the more um, disreputable, you know, pastors and or yeah. uh, televangelists yeah. or whatever over the years. Whatever that I think is really the type of person that he's concerned about. I agree. It's it's just. It's just inconsistent with that quiet lifestyle that that we should be keeping. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Good. Okay. Thanks for bringing that up. I missed that one little line at the bottom of that page there about <laughs> the false teachers. But I, I, and quite frankly, I think that's his point through the whole theme here is we should be growing in our faith. He left these two guys to help them grow in their faith. To pick and choose godly men that would help them to grow in their faith. And we don't even know their names. Whoever was chosen. Because that was the point. The point was that they would all grow in their faith. So. Okay. Well, I, I suppose that... Uh, uh, is supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving promoting courage or commanded in the Torah was was probably a stupid question, given that I gave you 230 references to look up there. So. Mm -hmm. um, Micah, did you look up any of the references in red on that one? Mm. Any of them? I actually did a little homework. Come on, Micah. <laughs> Joshua, did you look up any of those? No, I read through them, but... Well, looking them up, you so you did look them up. You read them. Yes. Good. All right. So, what's the conclusion about supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving? Are we supposed to be doing that? What's the difference? What's supplication? Just literally, what is it? Requests. Good. That's exactly right. Asking something. That's supplication. How about a prayer? more of a conversation specifically with just because you know you see the model of prayer with David so you're not answering my question you're choosing to give me an example so you said it was a conversation yes sure with that's exactly right okay I like that oh. that's good okay Yes, and David's a great example. That's good. Good. Uh, intercession. Todd? Praying for others. Yeah. This is supplication, not for you. Right? Good. What I thought was odd is that, uh, I mean, I don't know how, obviously, you didn't look up every word that used the word pray in the Tanakh. That no. That been there all day. But um, I thought it was interesting that in the references that you pulled up, um, there are at least at least three different cases of intercession for someone who has wronged you. Yes. Um, uh, or maybe even be a believer. Yeah. Abraham's instructed to pray for Abimelech. God tells Abimelech, I will have, Abraham's going to pray for you. He does the same thing And with then I'll go ahead and heal you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything to you until <laughs> until my friend prays for you. That's right. Um, oh, how cool is that? <laughs> and, um, uh, it definitely has, that's sort of a Godfather feel to it. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's like uh, it, Joshua prays that the sun would stand still in the sky, you know, over Gibeon, right? And it, it did. First time ever that God heeded the voice of a man. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe on a request like that with regard to a... The format. Is heavenly thing, pretty, right? Uh... Yeah. But, yeah, the, the idea that God would limit himself to the prayers of a man. I guess Does he not do of... that? Does he not do that? Also, later on, we, we read. It's Job, same well, thing. Wait, 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 wait no. You, you don't have because you, don't you ask. didn't ask. I mean, I'd give it to you if you asked me. You didn't ask. You know. But I also, I also like. These are all Godfather I, I images. Love this, I love the style here, too, though, where he's like, 
you know, with, with both Abraham and Job, um, God almost kind of plays this, you know, you better be nice to my friend because if he doesn't pray for you, <laughs> you had it, buddy. Yeah. yeah so that's right. that's um, right. now the, the parallel to that is Isaiah 53, which you have to look at where we're talking about a prophecy of Messiah yeah. or Israel or both. Yeah. Um, uh, I like both. Um, the idea that they prayed for that made intercession for the transgressors. And it's like, this is, this is the, um, you think about, uh, in, in, um, Yeshua uses that pray for those who persecute you. Um, this is a mark of a truly righteous person. Yeah. And it's not without co uh, coincidence that the two men we listed earlier are Abraham and Job, who are like top of the top shelf. I mean, way up there. Job's up there Absolutely. so high that like sure. God's like... He's one of the trees in the land, yeah, right? I mean, they're huge, right? So, um, and then of course we're talking about Mashiach as the third option. So, yeah, And his, his high priestly prayer is, is all intercession. So it's, but it's interesting to me that it's not just intercession for other people. Isaac prays for Rebecca, and that's great. Prays for his wife, that's what we should be doing. But these three men chose to pray for someone who wronged them. Yeah. And I think that really stands out. Yeah. One of the most impactful things in like the, the Jesus movies that you watch when you're a kid is always that line, forgive them, Father, for they, they know, know not, not what, what they, they do. do. Yeah. So it's like... Because they always, you know, have it as the yeah, on, oh yeah, literally yeah. on the cross, and that it's very impactful when you're a kid yeah. to see that level of love and and humility to pray for those yeah. that literally just wronged you. Yep. And and we've you know many of us have learned that in order to to really not have a bitter heart towards someone who has wronged you, it's it's a valuable lesson to invest some treasure in their lives in some way, shape, or form. And this could be as, uh, uh, in the form of an intercessory prayer or a financial uh, investment. And uh, I personally think that it takes a humble man who has matured in his faith to do that. Because you, you really don't I, I don't think you, you have an in, innate ability to do that unless God has changed you from within because that's, mm -hmm. that's not human to do. Mm -hmm. You hurt me, you hurt my family, I'm going to kill you. That's, just, you know, that's, that's where I'm from. But when God changes you from the inside out, you have the ability to react in a way that's absolutely inhuman because in fact it is a divine trait, right? So, good. Cool, that's, that's a great insight, Joshua. Thank you. Um, how about uh, Thanksgiving? What, what is that? Joshua, what is Thanksgiving? If you say giving thanks, I'm going to just come over there and smack you. I'm telling you right now. Well, it's giving thanks to God ah! for something he has asked, you have asked him for. Okay. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you. What do you think, Josiah? Is it, uh, if, I, if I'm, if I'm uh, giving thanks only for that which God has provided that I asked for, can I not have thanksgiving for something I didn't ask for? Or would you call it gratefulness? Because that's where he's coming from. He's trying to divide here, right? Maybe he's right. Is he right? But you can disagree with him while you're here. You can't when you're home. I think, that it's actually, I think that it's actually both. Both. Gratefulness and thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is actually thanksgiving and gratefulness. What do we have in other words? You just think the prayers of Thanksgiving contain both thankfulness and gratefulness. Yes. Hmm. 
What do you think? Kind of going back to David again, I feel like Thanksgiving is a verbal acknowledgement of things that you you are thanking God for. So it's it is definitely more than gratefulness because I don't know. Sometimes I'm I, I separate in my head is like gratefulness is more of that like internal like how you're reacting okay. to whatever that okay. is. Um, you know, kind of like the idea where you see the ocean and there's actually a bracha for that. And the bracha is very much to me like a thankfulness. Like you are literally saying to God, thank you for creating this ocean that I am able to see right here. Mm -hmm. But then you could also be very grateful that you are there. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily have to do with God at that moment. You're just kind of grateful. So I don't know. That was, that's how I... It doesn't have to do with God, but grateful demands an object. Well, sure. So then the better object would be God. In, but I'm, I guess what I was saying was like it could, it could just be the, fa- the, the very fact that it is there as opposed to a verbal expressing of thanks. Okay. Okay. I see Thanksgiving as being a verbal expression and gratefulness being an emotional expression. Okay. God wants us to be thankful not necessarily grateful. We see that but in the gratefulness. Yeah, yeah, my gratefulness I normally. Thank you. Right, right. So emotionally, I, my emotion is leading me to thank you, which is an outward okay. indication okay. of a, an inward. That's right. That's sure. how I've understood. That makes sense. Right. So yeah. Thanksgiving would be always applied to God's actions. Right. I often give thanks for you. We gave thanks for you three times this week that I can recall right now at the dinner table. Yeah. And I can share share those with you later. But I don't even cook. Yeah, well, that's true. Much. Um, my, my, my dad actually, my dad actually um, uh, gives thanks for the hollow plate that your family gave us every Friday night <laughs> and now lists out each individual last name family member that... Uh, was part of that original gift, um, going through all the different uh, iterations uh, with your four daughters and all the different last names and now playing and doing right, it. So right. um, that would be an example of uh, thankfulness. This comes from a grateful heart. That's right. That's exactly right. So yeah, I, I, I think that we should be grateful. And if we're not grateful, there's a problem with our walk, right? Um, because not that we're not believers, but that we're not recognizing from whom all things flow, right? So, I mean, you can go back and read Mesalot, Mesalot Yisharim if you need to, but I don't believe that anything can possibly happen in your life unless God not only allows it, not only permits it, but he specifically causes it. I don't know how many times I've thanked God when I came around the corner and I did not hit my head on the branch or didn't trip over the thing. Amen. Yeah. I mean, we... We yeah. are. Paul has that other quote that we had just read a couple of books ago about giving thanks in all things. In all things. Is that Corinthians? It sounds more like Philippians. Philippians, maybe? It does yeah. sound more like yeah, Philippians. Philippians. Anyways, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. That, that, that's a great example. I, yeah. Thank we you. have uh, learned. Didn't walk into the bar, but ducked. Bunk. Yeah. <laughs> I, thank I, you, Lord, I, that you've taught me once again that I need to duck when I come past this bar. Gosh. We're definitely not very 
disciplined at it yet, but we've learned a great tradition from the McDonald family who kicks off their mornings every morning with just a, a thankfulness moment where everybody just kind of goes around and they say what they were thankful for from yesterday. Nice. What they're thankful for nice. for that day. And it's, it's, uh, it's really neat to hear a little two-year-old yeah, respond yeah, to that. Yeah. He usually says, Mommy. Yeah, yeah well, that's which cool. Which is really cool. I, th I think... Uh, I think our walk is deepened when we recognize that the walk is not year by year. It is not event by event, but it truly is moment by moment. You know, am I really focusing on him right now? Or was it the girl that just walked by? Or the car that just wow! Look at the look at the wheels on that car, you know. And you're like, hang on, I can appreciate what man has made. I can appreciate what God has made, and I can be grateful for all of that stuff. But my moment by moment walk should be focused on drawing near to and connecting with my Maker. Otherwise, what am I doing here? The car's gonna burn. Not for very long. That's right. So, yeah. All right. Well done, man. Good, good job there. Is lifting hands a biblical mandate or practice or something that Christian church has made up out of whole cloth? I've been in, in some uh, congregations where, I mean, if, you're, if your hand in your pockets or you're sitting down, something's, something's wrong. I mean, you might, not, you might not even be saved, right? Yeah, you know. So um, this surprised me. That was an interesting list yeah. of verses. Yeah. Um, I I didn't realize it was referenced as often as it was. I, the thought that I had when I was reading through these is there's a fascinating TED talk, completely secular woman from all that I have gathered, who it's it's and it's all about the science of power poses. The power pose is a like raising up your hands, and uh, you know, of course, she's suggesting doing that before you're you're going to do something because it, it physiologically strengthens you yeah. to have your hands in that position. Think and about I thought, Moses cool at the top about, of the mountain. Exactly. Bang. Yeah, and 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 Aaron. There's a reference to Aaron there from Leviticus, and it's just sure. that is really cool. To the, like, it's just one of those neat opportunities where it's like. God had this figured out way yeah, back then. Right. Just now being like, hey, guess what? Raising your hands actually really makes you emotionally yeah. stronger. And it's like, that's exactly what, and it's an amazing thing yeah. with some of these references to think about the, the science of that. I, I was floored as well. But, but I think that Greg's got a point on this one because you asked if it's a commandment. I don't think it's a commandment. Although Lamentation is referenced, they also reference resting, raising your heart. So sure, there's kind yeah, of yeah. A, so, um, right, maybe yeah. a little bit of a figure of speech. But I, it did seem to me like it is tied to that emotion. It's a, it's a point of emphasis. Yeah. It's like um, raising your hands to make an oath, raising your hands uh, in supplication, raising your hands. Look at the boxer who wins. Look at the look at the wrestler. Ah, you know, right? Well, and even or and look even, at the ump. Well, even even look, look at the you. ref when 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 they get the field yeah, goal. Yeah, right. But even but even, yeah, even even like the you know, other human natural reactions, you know, how many people raise their hands at a concert? How many people? Talk about, talk about secular people. How many people raise their hands at a sporting event? Raise their hands on a roller coaster? But what's I mean, but what's the key here? I agree with you. It's not a commandment. But what is it? 
it's I think it's I think it's a physical act to uh, demonstrate an emotional reality that is trying to wait. I, 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 I think it's trying to emphasize. Like okay. <laughs> basically, what? it's saying God is amazing. Should you do he's it? Fantastic. Should Absolutely. you do it? Why? And I think it's because you is want it a command? To... No. Why should you do it? Because it's an offering. There are lots of things. I, I got a better answer. I also don't think it's a command to kneel at some point in prayer. Okay. But there, it's like, it's well, like those are, that's So why did you kneel? Well, because that's the spectrum. What? The, the kneeling is a, to, to Joshua's point, it's basically you submitting yourself humbly. I don't disagree other, with you. You're both right. I don't side. still don't think you have but, the right answer. Why do we do it? It's, it's an expression. I, yeah. I know it's an expression. Why should you do it? But I think it's channeling it? that emotion. I get that too. That Why should you do it? The same reason. Beyond the fact that it's cool, it's good, it's healthy, it's emotional, it's wonderful, it's this and that. Why should you do it? Either one of them. Yes. It expresses humbleness before God. I like that. That's true, but that's not why. Because Paul encourages us to. Because the scriptures in their entirety encourage us. The writer of Hebrews says these people came before us. As examples. Everybody in the scriptures is written down for a reason. It's written down as examples for us. Why should I raise my hands? Because of all those cool and wonderful things you said, and even the psychological stuff is all great, but godly men before me did it. And I want to follow their example. My master did it. He raised his hands. It's one of the last things he did. He lifted his hands and prayed for the people. And kneeling, same thing. These guys... Not a lot of people at Neil, but those who need, those who do, are the kind of guys that I want to emulate. I want to follow in their footsteps or their knee steps. One of the coolest examples of, of Judaism and of lifting hands is that reference you had with Yeshua, and also you mentioned with Aaron, and it's the um, Kohanim blessing. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the Western Wall uh, during, I think it's the Sunday during Sukkot or the Sunday during Pesach, you'll see. I mean, dozens of doing Kohanim. the ironic blessing, and it's the only time I think you'll ever see in mass a group of religious Orthodox men with their backs to the Western Wall oh, because right? they're all facing the crowd, ah! covered in their tallits. Nice. You can't even see their faces, but the and they all have their hands up, and they're they're, they're supposed to be doing the, the sheen symbol, yeah, which yeah, kind sure. of looks like the live long and prosper for the Star Trek fans in the room. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the idea being that like they are literally putting the name of God, the sheen is a symbol for the name of God, on, on the, the people. people. Yeah. And so that reference, that idea of blessing someone by raising your hands, yeah. is still very much practiced. Very neat. I love it. Yeah. Um, Greg Upham is listening online, and, and he uh, recommended that we read 282, Psalm 282, which is in the study guide um, that we wrote for the thing. And of course, Paul i was also quite surprised going to the western wall seeing how many jews do raise their hands when they're praying yeah or they'll put their hands up oh, yeah. on the wall i saw that and uh, there was a I, I was really surprised by that because you know i grew up in a charismatic church typically the hand raising was during worship songs and whatnot right. but it was I, I thought that was it was it surprised me in a, in a cool way to see that it was almost, I'm just, sure, they weren't even thinking about it. Thought. Well, but I'm, I'm sure the Jews weren't even thinking about it. Because right. again, it, it is, it's, it's just this natural expression of yeah. the level of prayer that they, mm -hmm. they're doing at that point. Exactly. exactly. And it's interesting right. because I remember when, when Rabbi Gintel was here, actually talking to us about some different things, mm -hmm. once he pointed out this kind of um, 
that's different about Messianics, and, and at the same time, probably also is true of, of some of the Hasidic types, that they've added to Judaism is some of that emotion, mm-hmm. some of that, in, that passion. Um, and I think when you think about like the, the Western Wall, um, the most excitable are oftentimes those Hasidic type sure. guys. Yeah. And they're crying out to God. And that, and yeah, and it's amazingly see, emotional. And you see that, um, that channeling of that emotion in, in, towards God. I think that's what I was trying to get at earlier. I said it the wrong way. It's not just simply that I want to feel good and this is a good way for me to express that. It's more the sense that like I am so full of my thankfulness to God my, my, or my, my need for God it's that I want to express it somehow physically. And, and that's, um, it reminds me of the, there's a tradition that when um, Jacob meets Joseph for the first time in 17 years, yeah. it says that Joseph hugged Jacob. Yeah. And they say, well, what was Jacob doing? And so he said, Shema. And they're like, why is he saying Shema when he hasn't seen his son in 17 years? And they say it's because he felt such an intense amount of emotion and, and, and joy at seeing Joseph. He wanted to channel that in the, in the service of God. Amen. And I think that's the idea behind raising hands. It is trying to express that emotion, but express it uh, towards God. That's like the idea behind it. Amen. Yeah. I think we should raise our hands more during prayer. At Bellator. Just my thought. Feels really cool to do that with your tweet in your hand. It sure does. Over man. your family. Over your family. Man, I just, I love that. I also like doing that, and at the end of it, it's hard to do in the service because I, I normally have to get my Toledo out of the way and start singing the Sim Shalom deal, but I love hugging on him with the Toledo, you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When we do the uh, point at the Torah yeah. with your hands raised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, two last questions. Um, did Paul introduce any any new habits or traditions or customs uh, that you were able to find in uh, either the letter to Timothy or the letter to Titus? Was there uh, was there something there? That was uh, Brant Spanker? Did you did you did you pick anything out, or was he pulling to bo- to both Gentile communities? Was he was he just pulling from Judaism, the Torah, and so forth? Anything, anything stick out? There's no right or wrong here. I'm just curious if you say, you know, it's like, wow, I've, I've never heard of anybody doing jump rope in the middle of the Torah service. That's pretty cool. It looks like he introduced that there. You know, something like that. It's interesting that he, and this is not something he created. This is something that the, uh, the first assembly in Jerusalem did. But it's interesting to me that he ordained the system of deacons. Uh, servants that's an intriguing um act I, that's not something i necessarily see very often except possibly in a temple system you kind of have that idea yeah yeah um your your levites i would put in that kind of deacon type category mm-hmm. um but to your point in in acts right chapter five Stephen, yeah right we've we've got seven deacons that are chosen because there are folks being overlooked so mm-hmm. um that that certainly was in a jewish context it was the the jewish greeks uh, the 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 jewish uh greek-speaking jews greeks thank you Man, backwards. the greek-speaking jews that were were being overlooked those who who weren't born there and didn't live there and they come in so but they had stayed so good yeah deacons yeah that kind of got my answer. In, in my in the ESV, mm-hmm. First Timothy three, 
6, verse 6 says, he must not be a recent convert. Right. That was the one that didn't fit with the rest of the Torah list, like comparing how the Torah describes selecting of elders. And but then if you, um, I was just looking, checking that, uh, according to the King James Version that John Gill usually does his commentary on, it, it, the, the word is actually, it's, it, it's like, and that he's not a novice, like right. not new. Sure. So not that he's not a new convert, just not new in general to the faith, which is so a little bit even makes if, a little bit more sense. Sure, okay, just um, because the convert really makes it like hyper specific as opposed to less so with would, the other version. Would what he's saying not line up absolutely the same as what uh, what was taught in that day? Who was it? Uh, was it Gamaliel, Shammai, Hillel, who said, don't trust the convert for seven okay. generations or something like yeah. that? Because it's a long time. Shammai. Shammai. <laughs> that is true. It figures it's Shammai. You know. Same deal. I, 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 I get a sense that you know, Shammai's over the top trying to teach you, but the concept being, especially with a convert, yeah. right? we've got we've to be careful because uh, we as Gentiles tend to, to be very... Fickle. Well, I think all you had to do was fast forward, what, 40 years? And basically, these Gentile assemblies had some pretty much created their own anti Semitic religion. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy how fast. I, I uh, give, it, I give it 60 years just to, you know, 120 to. Mm -hmm. But there were some very specious leaders in the, in the Gentile communities around 100. And, yeah. and so, and yeah, you're right. By, by 120, it was really yeah. unraveling. So it's like, it's just really crazy to me. That, I think that just emphasizes Paul's point, right? I mean, and, and Shema's, right? Right. But uh, um, on the flip side of that sad news um, and our own heritage, um, as late as uh, 900, 1,000, 1,100, you still have folks that are Sabbatarians, mm -hmm. Uh, quarter decimans who are you know keeping the 14th of Nisan for Pesach and haven't moved to the Easter deal that kind of thing so um, remnant perhaps a Gentile remnant cool yeah, good so uh, last question in there what is the big difference between an elder and a deacon especially you younger guys did you catch there's really only one difference in both books or both letters is really only one difference um, that Paul is giving these guys to differentiate a man who is qualified to be a deacon versus a man who is qualified to be a, an elder. <clears throat> is it okay that a deacon not be morally upright, Joshua? No. It's not okay. Um, is it not okay that an elder be morally not upright? No. So what what is that defining line between you'd make a great deacon, but you might not make a great elder? What's what's that one point? Yes, sir. Is it not being double-minded? Nah. <laughs> I think it's kind of generic. Teaching. The elder has to be apt or able to teach. Mm -hmm. That's the big difference. The servant, 
they're both servants, they're both godly men, they both take care of their family, they're both this, they're that. They're both, they're all, they're great guys. Yeah, they're both great guys. <laughs> but that reminds me of actually the, uh, the, the contrast, you think about Levites and priests. Yeah. The Levites, they could, they could clean things, they could fix things, they could keep things going, um, they could sing, they could do a lot of stuff. They carried the swords. That's right. You know, intimidate people, keep them from doing something stupid in the temple. Yeah. I mean, all of these types of things. But it was the priests whose job it was to teach. It was the priests whose job it was to um, handle the, you know, the, the the final offerings, you know, all those types of things. So um, that difference, uh, to me, it's sort of similar here. Where the deacons are there to kind of keep things running, uh, keep things functional, because someone's got to do that. That's right. Um, but the elders were the ones who were responsible for the teaching. That's right. I would go so far as to say that the priests in that day were responsible for the holy things, hmm. right? So the deacons would protect it and protect the environment, but the elders were responsible for the holy things, which in that day was two things, the sacrifices themselves, the altar and the sacrifices that touched it, and the word of God. Hmm. And, you know, no, we don't have sacrifices or a temple in which we can work, but those elders are still responsible for the holy things, which in our day right now, is strictly the word of God, you know, and, and I think it's important that um, it took an elder to select elders. So Timothy is also encouraged, commanded to accurately handle the word of God, mm-hmm. and he needs to choose men that can also do the same mm-hmm. and teach others to do the same. And you are the Greek guy. Isn't the word overseer similar to like the idea of a shepherd? Yeah, yeah, sure. So there we go. The uh, press buharas, and uh, it's a to me it's a it's a humbling it's a humbling deal to look at to, to see the young man was sent to kind of set it all up and make sure it worked well. And, and really, the only thing he had, besides his, his own faith in God and his prayer life, must have been immense, um, was the encouragement he got from his mentor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's cool. But of course, that kind of close relationship comes from tribulation, trials, going through them together. You know, you're, you're shipwrecked. Well, we're shipwrecked together. Um, we're, we're being run out of town. Well, we're being run out of town together. So it's not all that bad, you know. At least I can see how you're running and how you're reacting. And, you know, you did turn and try and argue with them a little bit or bring them to their senses until they punch you in the mouth. And, and we continued to sprint out of the town. You know, that kind of thing. So I, uh, I, can, see, I can see what an impact he made on, uh, on these two young guys. And obviously, they made an impact on uh, on those to whom they were entrusted. Final comments on uh, these guys here. Uh, I think it's next week we get into Second Timothy uh, five and six, which will be the last two chapters in that uh, in that letter. And uh, some very strict commands there. So. I'm assuming they came from the Torah, but you'll have an opportunity to prove that. That's that's encouraging. So, we'll see. Final comments on uh, 
Titus or the first uh, four chapters of First Timothy? Paul is uh, at some point um, going to be able to get away. I don't know if he's still under house arrest or what, but uh, if you picture the map, um, he's in Rome, and at some point in his travels, which presumably is after he got to Rome, he goes around the end of Greece and goes into that little pocket of water there. He's on up in there, and uh, that's a that's an odd place to be. But he said uh, he was going to spend the winter up there. As a prisoner, I'm almost reminded of uh, this, uh, that seafaring voyage with that uh, very young guy that we were watching. Horatio Hornblower, yeah. you know, where he's, he's in prison and he's, you know, says, just let me, let me go and save the people in this that are crashing in the boat over there and I won't try to escape. And they believe him. And he actually gets saved by his ship and turns to the captain and says, I appreciate you saving us and all that, but you got to go back to prison. Why would you have to go back to prison? Because I gave my word. But they're the enemy. That's not relevant. I, I gave my word. So I'm wondering if it was the same kind of thing with Paul, because I can't find where this wintering in this little, uh, I don't know what you call it, sea-wise uh, gulf or whatever. I, I, I just don't see where it would fit, other than the Romans allowed him to go. Whether he had a, you know, large, hairy Roman soldier strapped to his side or something. I don't know, but uh, uh, we'll read about that as we finish up. All right. Scott, would you close, sir? Sure. Thank you. Father, we are thankful for all that you are, all that you do for us, Father. We pray that uh, we would be constantly mindful and uh, expressing our gratefulness to you. Uh, Father, we also pray that we would uh, be seeing the character qualities of a, uh, an elder and a deacon that we would we would ascribe to those things we would seek to uh, to emulate that character and uh, and would do so by constantly staying in your word and, and uh, spending time mm. with you in prayer father help us to live lives that uh, call attention to you for in a to our difference in you in a quiet manner mm. that gives us opportunities to uh, explain the difference in us and what you've done for us to give you the glory. Mm. We pray all these things in the name of our Master, Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen. Now, Father, we would uh, express our gratefulness in thanksgiving for, uh, for Jonathan and uh, pray, Lord, that you would uh, quickly bring uh, healing and comfort to him. Uh, we are sorry to hear that he is under the weather, but uh, pray that you would resolve that matter soon. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.